hello everyone and welcome back to Spectrum Talk. I'm here today with Ms. Danielle Schutz, an incredible leader in business and finance who is working to dismantle economic inequity through philanthropy and investments. She's an award-winning CEO, CFO, keynote speaker, and strategist, and I've looked forward to speaking to her for such a long time. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your time with me, Danielle. Thanks for having me. That's quite an intro. Thank you. Oh, you're <laughs> quite a person to introduce. <laughs> I mean, and, you know, one of the things I've admired about you so much since I first heard you speak at a business conference years ago um, was that you're so relatable. And I love how you share like bits and pieces of your life and success and keep us kind of keyed in to everything that you're doing. So how is everything going? Everything's good. I think that's such a funny phrase for today. I was talking to my partner this morning about like, I had some health stuff in 2023. And I'm like, you know, I think I've been through everything that a woman can go through. <laughs> like yeah. that song, I am every woman. So when you say relatable, it's like, good. Like, I hope I can use it for good, right? Because it is is certainly been insane. What a ride. Like, <laughs> it's still wow. a ride. we're on a ride, all of us. So it's so interesting to go, um, yeah, I, I'm, I hope I'm relatable because it certainly is a very real human existence. I'm happy. <laughs> you know, and that's big. The fact that you're pushing through and doing so much and still handling like health issues. I hope everything is okay, by the way. But I know that's such a big part of being a woman just in general, just having to push through and do all the things. All the things. And it, it's, yeah. you know, we don't even study women. Like our medical research is so far behind yeah. That, you know, even the most well-intentioned doctors are guessing, you know, so you, I went through three years of them guessing oh and I'm doing really well now. It was something that actually wasn't huge. They actually shouldn't have missed it. Um, but I, and I think so all my friends have it, like everything that's going on and I'm like, wow, like <laughs> I feel like a million, I haven't felt this good in years. Right. So it's so interesting wow. what we, what we live with <laughs> well, and how much, yeah, how much it affects us. So. I'm yeah. glad to hear that things are progressing. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you. So as someone who's always been afraid of math in school, meaning me, <laughs> um, I'm always curious as to what makes people get into finance. So was it something that you just always had an interest in, like in your early education, or was it a job or an internship experience? Or did you just always love numbers? Yeah, no, um, it's in retrospect, I can put my finger on it, but like coming during the time, I never really thought about it so I you know now I can look back on fifth grade and say I'm probably a behavioral economist one because that's the way my brain naturally works and so throughout time I've learned to embrace the way my brain works and I think we live in a society that doesn't actually let us do that and I think that's actually why people don't like math um, because math is actually incredibly individual my son is at school of mines he's going to be an engineer it's math it's a very different math my partner is an analytical philosopher. It's math. It's very different math than me who like thinks through graphs and economics and macro conditions and sort of the behavior of humans and the law of averages in order to get to an outcome, um, to predict outcomes financially. That's the way my brain works. And so th the answer is no, because especially as a black girl, to even use the word economics, no one ever did to me, right? Like I did really good in those classes in college and like I would tutor my girlfriends at it uh, uh, because it just was natural for me, but uh, we don't um, li really live within structures that sort of allow us to think naturally. So I think we've structured math in this country in a way that has us all believing we 
don't do math. <laughs> when actually, I think if we taught it differently and it sort of allowed people to function in the way that they do and get to the answers in the way that they want to, naturally, we'd probably all be saying something really differently. And I didn't really know I was good at like budgets and numbers until I was in college and I worked at um, Open Door Youth Gang Alternatives here in Denver. And they got a federal grant and I needed the hours for work study. <laughs> so I was like, I'll teach myself how to do it. And it turns out that is like a very hot commodity to have on the job market when I graduated was to be able to manage federal money that way. And so that sort of launched my career and I just loved it. And it's just my natural way of being in the world. So I think that's been a big propeller for my career is that I'm doing something that's pretty natural for me. That's really cool. I think when I was younger, I was good at trigonometry, but then I got a D in statistics in college and I was like, nope, I'm just going to write. <laughs> Those are totally different maths. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It makes sense right. Yeah. I do not do trigonometry, but statistics, I will nail all day long. Right. Like okay. that, I don't even have to try at statistics. <laughs> well, tell me about the role that mentorship has played in your life and how have your mentors helped you face and overcome barriers throughout your career. I know that you said, you know, or you pointed out that as a Black woman, you're not in great company when it comes to a lot of us. So how were mentorships important in building your career? Uh, just incredibly important. I, my, I was so young, right, when my career started and when I became a CFO. I think one thing for me was that I'm in the money business. And I think that made it a little easier. Like, it was easier for me to have mentors because what I do is so tangible to other people, right? Like you can tell, did I make money? Did I lose us money? Did I, you know, did I get, did I hit it right? Did I hit a forecast right? Didn't I? So I think, I think I do have that privilege of that. I got into the money business where there's a lot less um, sort of gray in the sense of, are you doing well or not? There's also a lot of bias in the money industry, meaning like no one looks like me. No one thinks, oh, you're a CFO or to this day, like people will get into a room with me and just don't even think to check the resume of what I've done before they make a million um, assumptions. So having mentors to remind you who you are and like that every, the way that you see things is normal. Um, I think having people to tell you, yep, you have the right answer, even when you don't even know how you got there because it's natural for you is really important. But I've also been mentoring people since I was 25 because I've had employees. And I think that was the most incredible thing for me to this day I learn the most when I'm trying to teach somebody else something like when you try to show somebody hey this is what I would do and then you look in the mirror and go oh you're not even doing that for yourself Danielle that has been the journey that I think has been the best about mentorship I always tell people there's no age at which you should start mentoring somebody else we all have a lived experience that somebody else is going through mm -hmm. in that moment um so there's always something to give. And I, whenever I give, that's when I learn the most about myself um, in good ways and hard ways and all the ways, because it, it forces you to really look in the mirror. I think having kids so young, that's probably been a part of it for me too, is that yeah. I grew this whole career, but my kids and my family were at the center of it. And so I never really lost sight of myself along the way on like, how do I grow as a human? Right. Wow. Well, I guess the reason why I ask about mentorship is because I've heard you speak about it a lot. And then also your app um, and I guess mentor service, the daily boss up. I'm wondering how you came up with that and how that was 
Um, I mean, because it's a groundbreaking technology, right? Like, especially yeah. for business and women in business to have somebody there to encourage you with like daily messages, aspirations, things like that. So did that lay the foundation for the Daily Boss Up? It absolutely did. It was like exactly what you're saying. So I, after I did my TED Talk in 2017 um, on millennials, like in, in leadership and in the workplace, I got so much inbound from that. So many emails and people reaching out. And I just saw these themes of questions that women, especially that's who like who relate young women. I was 32 when I did that TED talk. Um, they were saying like, Hey, I need help with this. And what would you, what would you do in that situation? And there was no way for me who is running, like still in my career in a major way to respond to everyone. Although like, if I could sit on my couch and do that all day, I probably would. Um, and so I said, like, we need to like take these themes, bundle them up. And then I had a friend who was like, yeah, like, why don't you start sort of a service to meet people where they are at in their phones and text with these themes. So if it was confidence, imposter syndrome, money, like whatever folks wanted to be learning about, I would just send quotes and podcasts I've read about the topic or or my own, you know, coaching videos that we'd film and just send out to folks who subscribe to the boss up in order to like, at least give people a minute in their day to sort of you know, have something right to, to keep going. Like sometimes that's all that matters is just a minute, breathe, stop, think about it differently. And then you can totally change your day around or change your mood around or change your, the way you might be beating yourself up about something yeah. around. So that it did, it came from that exact thing. This like, how do we think about technological mentorship? All the data says that like gen Xers and millennials and Zers are not getting coaching mm. at all. It's not good. <laughs> Yeah, and you're right. I mean, a lot of people don't have that voice at all. And for a lot of us, you know, you're the first one in your family, maybe in business, yep. or the first one in your friend group. So that's awesome that you came up with that as like that little nudge that keeps you on track. I've been the last two years since I started the fund. And I'm about to come out with a ton more, probably just on social media and not through the, the VASA, but around economics and investments and the systems. And what's actually going on, because I realize how much people need to hear that in a way that's digestible too, right? Where, you know, these systems are the problem. And and I think so many folks are like, well, it's just me. I don't understand it. You said it like, well, I just don't do math. That's, I can't, I can't afford to invest or that's fine. But like, I want my people to understand what is happening, how the sausage is getting made um, behind the scenes and what's happening to our economy in the country because of the way we've left women and people of color out of the conversation. Well, I, w I definitely want to get to your investment um, company and learn all about Demi Fund. But first, <laughs> I want to know what advice would you have for people who want to get started in business, but they have no idea where to begin? Yeah, you know, I think starting your own business is the hardest thing in the whole world. So I think that's the first thing I would say to anyone who's who's wanting to do that. So I was in corporate America for years before I started my own business and it was still brutal. It's still brutal now. Um, it's a very different way. And so I think I had to learn a couple of things like what motivates you? Because sometimes it's having employees. Sometimes it's the safety and structure of an environment. So you have to be really aware of what motivates you because that's the hardest thing is that you're going to have to figure out how to motivate yourself every day. Um, I think people get so sick of these systems because all the stuff that happens when you work <laughs> for somebody else inside the system, that doesn't mean that you have to be an entrepreneur. So it's really like sitting with yourself um, about that. And then what are you really good at? Mm 
Like that is the thing I tell people, like, what are you really good at? Because not everyone is a great CEO or CFO or whatever. So knowing that when you go into it so that you can stay focused on that and then bartering for help, like black women start more businesses than any demographic in the country right now, every single day. And we're starting it with nothing. So we have to think about like a barter system. Like Danielle's a great CFO. I can do the money for our businesses. Who's good at marketing and branding? Can you can you take that on for our businesses? Like that's really what I want to see people start doing um, because it's such a lie that you're going to be good at everything. And most of us have jobs while we start our businesses on top of it. And so it's just a hamster wheel. And so it's like, okay, before you start, who are you going to barter with? What does your network look like? Who's missing? And how are you going to spend as many of the hours that you're going to focus on this business doing the thing you're actually good at inside this business? Because if you spend nine hours working and then another five doing a bunch of stuff you're not good at, it's not going to work. Like that on top of that, you you work in a system that doesn't invest in businesses that we start. So yeah. that that's exactly like those are just things you have to you have to fight for. Um, and then when you can barter, like the chances of you actually getting capital down the line are, are much higher. Like once you've learned how to barter for what you actually need. So I say practice that with your crew or who, you know, or go out and network, network with purpose so that you're actually filling the hole um, in the, in the sort of pie that you need in order to start a business. That's great advice. So I've heard the term venture capital fund many times. (laughs) Yeah. But your newest venture, the Demi Fund, uses value capital fund. And I love that. Um, but why is there an emphasis on value capital? Yeah, okay. I, I'm so glad you're asking this. You've done your research. Because <laughs> I say that and not one journalist has ever asked me that question. And wow. I say it very purposeful that I'm hopeful that we can have this conversation. Yeah. So um, I say I have a venture fund. It's structured as a venture fund, but I'm not a venture capitalist because sort of fundamentally, <laughs> I don't believe in it as an investment class. It's a bit of um, a pyramid scheme. It's really hard to win in venture capital. In fact, people who have funds like mine are betting that one out of 10 or 20 investments that they make is actually going to work. Wow. And folks that go in and do venture um, often end up worse off than when they started because it's very market driven. It's not business driven. So they'll have you believe this is all about your idea. Of course, you have to have a business model that's going to work. Like that's the first thing that's for any type of investment. Um, but they'll emphasize it in venture in a way that you, you already know something's off, which is that actually it's all about being able to raise money. Right. So you raise, rounds at a time I raise I raise a pre-seed round which maybe means right when I'm first starting or I first start to get revenue in the door and that might be 250,000 or 500,000 well that gets you a year if you're good with money Mm -hmm. and then you got to go raise another round and that's hopefully a million or two million and then you got to go raise another round and that's how fund managers make their money is that next round your company is going to be worth more than it is today. And I get money and it's all paper money. It's like a paper exercise. It's not cash. It's not liquid. So we move money around on paper and I do great as a fund manager, but it doesn't necessarily mean the cash that a company needs to grow that they actually have. So I'm taking equity part ownership of your business, little chunks at a time in hopes that every time I take a bigger chunk, you're worth more money. 
-hmm. and then I get my return that way. Right. And so I um, know that that's just not my favorite way to invest. And when it comes to who I invest in, black and brown founders and women, their ability to go raise that next round is next to impossible. And I'm saying that from a data perspective, it's like one and a half percent combined. Wow. They get a venture capital. So the bias is so strong. There's no science. And when there's no science and people are using their guts to make bets and, oh, my friend started a business and I'm going to go invest in that, that business and more money will flow into a failed entrepreneur, like the guy who started WeWork Mm -hmm. than somebody who's starting out for the first time. So if you think about the way bias flows in the financial system towards us, we are riskier. That's what people, that's what their gut tells them. It's their gut. That's how hard this is to overcome. And they're using their gut to make these decisions on an unproven business model. It's like, well, like it's literally the tail is chasing the head, right? Yeah. And it's just a spiral. So I just um, do this game much differently. It's structured like a venture fund so that I can still invest in early stage companies that may not have years of proven model. So I want to, I want to stay in the early stage, but we really want to be a partner and grow and scale a business and build value into the company. Like, I'm not going to say you're worth more just because I need it to be worth more. We're going to put points on the actual board. And I think investing in founders of color, there's a natural cadence to that. And it's proving itself out for me. Now it's hard because I'm doing it very differently. It's like inventing an asset class and people who like it the other way are very uncomfortable. I have investors into the fund. Right. So I'm having to keep my investors happy while trying to stay on this course of like, no, we need to do this different. It's also hard because the need is so great mm-hmm. among founders of color. Like that, that is hard for me. That's been the hardest thing where it's a very specific type of business that you end up investing in. I don't do any brick and mortar businesses or, um, you know, it's very high growth, high margin opportunity because otherwise it wouldn't even actually be fair for me to take chunks of your investment out that I I could never build wealth for the business owner that way. And that's important to me, but it leaves, it's a lot more no's than it is yeses. And I hate that because I know how great the need is. I know how brilliant my community is. I know how resilient they are, how they can make a dollar stretch. And so I wish that I had a fund where you just invested in every kind of thing and blended, but this is a start. I'm starting. So (laughs) give me five more years and then we'll do that. (laughs) Yeah. So what is the process then when somebody applies for the Demi Fund? What are you looking for? And what do these um, businesses or ventures or yeah, ventures um, entail? And what like sticks out to you the most is something that you're like, I want to build value in this. Yeah. So uh, specifically, it's something where there's going to be a significant amount of volume that you have access to from a customer perspective. So I know people will often say, oh, like tech enabled or high growth or any of that. It's like, yeah, that's not specific enough. So I'm trying to, I try to be specific with people. There's a lot of customers in your future, potentially. We can go take a chunk of the market out. It's not isolated to one city. It's not isolated. We really think there's a whole volume play there. That's for me. Um, I think way too many people bet on rate, which means bet on pricing, of something. I just want to know how there's a ton of people that want to or need what you're selling, right? So that could be tech enabled. That could be a product. Like we don't do a lot of products, but I do like food as medicine. So, cause I think that's the future, right? Like right. I think we're going to have to stop poisoning our people in this country with our food that we give them. Like I okay. think fundamentally the healthcare system can't support it. So I'm looking ahead to go, okay, like 
who's starting businesses in that space. And that's going to be such a huge chunk of the population who has a lived experience that 70% of the population could relate to, right? So it's a lot of what I know. And so we invest in founders of color, but they're solving problems for people of color, right? Like that, and they're the only ones that would know how to, like, I have a investment into what we call the e-harmony of housing, which they basically figured out how to reduce eviction rates by 90% for folks with section eight and vouchers. Housing is a crisis in this country. So there's the volume, right? Figuring out how to get and keep people housed is a problem we have. We've had it for a long time. So now it's reached crisis and we'll have it for a very, very long time and it will evolve. So the future of that company being able to grow is huge. Like that's the first thing. They're solving a problem I know other investors are going to overlook. Venture capitalists aren't even going to be able to tell you what Section 8 is. It is a bubble of people. The majority of them are not just white men. They're white men that went to Stanford or Harvard. Majority. Like you have to think about how small that bubble is from a lived experience. So like in many ways, it's not even their fault. It's like, you don't know what you don't know, but they're going to go, I don't even know what problem that person's solving. That business wouldn't even get in the door for somebody else. For me, I'm like, wait, what are you doing? (laughs) The other thing is that we drive towards revenue and profit, which is not necessarily what happens in venture capital. So that'll be the third thing that we're really looking for is that what is the pathway to actually bringing money into this business and then keeping it, making money? And we really support and are partners with our founders in that. What big contracts do you have out there? How do we actually help you? We're business people, all of us, like old school PL, grow and scale companies. We're going to be in your business. We're going to be on your boards, but it's because we actually want to grow and scale your company. If you couldn't raise another dollar, how do we get you to profit? Yeah. That's the way we think and sort of push. So we're looking for partners. I'll spend time vetting a company for a year sometimes before we make an actual investment. I'll help companies put things in place that they need in order for them to be investable. So I'm always saying like, how do I engineer the win and the investment sort of the last piece of it? Then we put money in, we're off to the races, but how do we get you ready for that? So it's, you know, venture or any type of equity investment is rocket fuel. That's what I tell people. Like, if you want to run your company for the rest of your life and pass it down to your children, this isn't the right investment. Too many people in your business <laughs> taking ownership of your business. Many people are predatory in, in this private equity space where they will take it. And so I, I'll say that up front, like, is that your dream or do you want to create a $500 million company with me and sell it or take it public? Cause that's a different dream. Right. And so making sure that we understand where people want to be in 10 years from now, when this life cycle is supposed to go one way or the other. So those, those are the things we're looking for. And I, I'm telling you, I use my gut too. It's why I'm a good investor. There's a lot of gut, but it's because I'm sitting with people where I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I, I was a teen mom. I And that was back way before housing was the crisis it is now. Yeah. I have a 21 year old son who's not going to be able to afford to buy a home even after getting an engineering degree. I have a 16 year old daughter, right? I sit on the board of Denver Health, right? I understand what safety net hospitals are facing. And then Who's solving for that mm. across the board is, is what we're looking for. So we have sort of healthcare companies, and which can include food as medicine, um, data, sort of tech enabled and data, data, data enable and analytics. So pe- people who are collecting and using data. So I actually put that housing company in there for the most part, because what they're using is data in order to keep people housed um, and keep landlords happy and matching a landlord to a tenant in a good fit. Um, and, and then we have like a lot of, uh, 
sort of, I, I have a media company that sits inside my data, but also just infrastructure, like people who are innovating on supply chain, people who are innovating on, you know, middle income housing, you know, those types of things that's, we're looking for that too, and sort of innovating on climate and how do we do things more green um, versus just paper straws, right? Like that, those yeah. are the things we're looking for that, like, you know, I could almost sell my portfolio to the government as far as this is how you fix stuff. <laughs> that's the way we think about it. <laughs> I'm sitting here listening to you talk and one of my favorite shows is Shark Tank. And I'm like, oh my gosh, she would change the whole game of the Shark Tank. <laughs> <laughs> I watch it and then I stop. Like I watched it for many seasons because I do. It's like sort of hard to watch it unfold in the way yeah, that you see all the predatory stuff yep, that you're working exactly. against yeah and well, they're just taking a bit I call it the craps of investing they're just taking yeah. they're just rolling the dice and hoping that there's one hitter and I I prefer to say like how do we get eight of my companies to be at least a hundred million dollars wow. versus one billion dollar one right yeah. that's an even better return profile yeah well, there's been recent controversy. I know you know because you have mentioned it um, publicly, and I love that you're speaking about it because it affects you directly, you know, and everything that you do. So it's surrounding those financial resources and support that are dedicated to historically underrepresented groups. So, from your perspective, why is it so important to create those equitable opportunities for people impacted by discrimination and that lack of access to capital? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's just necessary or like important. I think it's necessary. Like I, um, being inside this machine, starting my own fund, being inside private equity, it's 10 times worse than I even thought it was. Mm -hmm. The way that the systems are designed for complete and utter failure of anyone who's not already in the machine with wealth is it's painful. Like it's hard for me to even keep doing it some days. Right. And like, it's because I, because I want people to know like, Oh no, I know how broken this thing is. Right. And if they only see it from a distance, like, Oh, you're just like doing private equity as a part of the machine. I'm like, no, no, no. I, I had to get into the machine to understand this whole machine kind of needs to get blown up and start over because here's the issue. We are concentrating wealth in a way that is completely unsustainable for us as a country. Mm. period 70 percent of the country are women and people of color white women have 56 cents on the dollar of wealth black women have five cents on the dollar for every for white men's wealth Mm -hmm. but here's the problem your younger generations that are entering the workforce and in the workforce are black and brown and women Mm. and single women nearly 50 percent of women are staying single which makes their wealth profile much less right? 86% of black women are the breadwinner of their household. Married or not, they make the most money. They're the one that makes the money in the home. We're putting money into a machine as boomers are retiring. Boomers made a dollar. There was a lot more white men Mm. in the boomer generation than there. It just is. That's just the data. So if I'm retiring and taking out a dollar, social security, taking out a dollar, because that's how much I made. It's all based on your income right? Medicare, taking out a dollar. Investments, taking my investments out to be less risky. But you have a whole work of grouping. The the working class now is cents on that dollar. That's what we're putting into the machine. Mm. Like your math doesn't work. We're in a really bad spot. Like the debt in this country isn't just because we spend too much. 
It's because we have a revenue problem. And then that revenue problem is based in racism and sexism. And like, we've got to have that conversation. You can't have paid people for hundreds of years, zero to cents on the dollar. And they're the ones putting taxes into the machine and then have the people retire who worked hard. I'm not even saying they didn't, but they get to take a dollar. Mm. It's completely broken. You can't, you can't pay for it. Like if we all just said, Hey, we're not going to pay our taxes until tax season. We're not going to pay it out of our paycheck every month. Like our, our country like wouldn't run. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it wouldn't be able to run. And so it's, this is like, this is a reminder of like, this is just should be for the people. Like this is the people's money. And so it's, I don't even want to talk about it anymore. I don't want to get people to like get credit and act like they're doing something charitable. Like you're actually an idiot if you don't invest your money this way. Like that's how I really feel. Like it's not smart. We have to fix this problem. My mom is retiring. I am very concerned about that. Yeah. I'm very concerned about the fragility of this market. And my mom, who worked hard her entire life for us, is retiring now in this market. And so it's just like this deep passion. And it's there's no answer. There's no system that is the answer. It's a combo of things. And, you know, some days I feel like, well, it's just going to have to crumble and we'll all be fine because we didn't own anything in the first place, right? (laughs) And have to get rebuilt or there's going to be a few people with enough power, enough money and enough smarts to go, whoa, uh, this is the only solution. Like we're out of money and a little out of time. Like our debt is $31 trillion (laughs) as a country. Unimaginable. People wouldn't have been able to imagine that even 25 years ago. Well, and the out of time thing is important because I think we we look at history like it was so long ago and we think that we just have all this time to fix whatever problems exist and time doesn't slow down. It doesn't slow down. And there has to be a generation eventually where this sort of the chickens come home to roost and this the economic policy of race and gender and the way this country was built is going to start folding in on itself. And we've reached that where the volume of people is greater than it can be for us to continue this cycle with such disparities, right? There's too many people who the system has to pay for versus pay, them paying into the system. And we want to, we're like, please, <laughs> you know, invest in our business. I'd be happy to pay business taxes. I would feel so great every year. That's the crazy part. It's like, We want to. Black women are the most educated demographic in the country. We want to do it. So like the fact that there's these barriers, is just starting to feel like people are eating their logic alive. So they're not doing the math in the way that they need to. And so I think it's coming to a head. I think it's us. I think we're the generation where we're going to see it have to change. I just don't know how much more painful it's going to have to be before it happens, I guess, is what I would say. I don't know. I just know it's happening. I want to know more about your journey with self-care because with mm-hmm. all that said, you're a mom, you're an entrepreneur, you're this business figure. I mean, I'm sure you're being pulled literally and figuratively in a bunch of directions all the time. So how do you take care of yourself and recharge and stay strong? Yeah, I mean, this has been, a, it, it, it's, it's evolving, right? As I um, get older, I I think sort of fundamentally in the beginning, my career came 
after I was a mom. You know, I had Kai at 16 and Layla at 21. I got married in 19. And so I sort of had this very centering force in my life and I loved it, right? I don't recommend it. I got a 16 and 21 year old now. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I tell, you know, do you guys just enjoy your youth? But yeah. for me, um, it felt very centering. So it felt like I, even though I built a big career and there's been so much stress, like I think having them to come home to centered me so much, like having my kids gave me such focus and clarity on what matters. And I know where I come from and they're a reminder of that every day. And then they grew up. And so then there's been like this last four and a half years where I was grieving in many ways. So I got divorced in 2018 um, after 13 years of marriage and like my son graduated in 2020. So it's just been this like grieving process of like, well, like, who are you without that centering force in the middle? And so then I didn't really have great self-care routines. Um, And I realized how much people pleasing had played a role in my life, how much that was my trauma response to everything I'd been through. And that it just gets reinforced, right? When you're a people pleaser and you just turn into this really successful thing on paper, <laughs> people actually just reinforce what's actually trauma for you <laughs> and you don't yeah. even realize it. So you don't want to let go of it. And I had to figure out like, how do I motivate myself? Um, what do I do if nobody understands what I'm saying? What I just walked you through, I've been saying for years Yeah. and to watch it have to happen anyway. And, and um, I think- for me, it's now about energy and like how I spend my time. I'm not in 12 hours of meetings a day like I used to be. I'm not. I don't I don't make myself available in the same way. And that was really, really hard because what I never wanted was my community to go like, oh, she forgot where she came from. And like, mm-hmm. she's so hard to get a hold of and like all of that. And then I'm like, you're, a, you have a lot of company. <laughs> A lot of companies. People don't even know how these things are structured, but it takes five separate companies to have one fund. And I already own other companies. Yeah. <laughs> and so they're like, if that was a male, number one, and especially if it was a white male, no one would ever say any of those things. Right. And so at some point you're trying to live up to some version of a reality that's not possible. And so learning to sort of let go and like be like, people will say what they are, make the circle smaller be around people who fill you up, (laughs) not who drain you. Um, It has been a really brutal lesson, but it is definitely what it is now where it's like, I just have to integrate it into the way I think about my time, my day, sitting and like having lunch. Like I just went to lunch, came back to the computer, um, you know, sort of letting myself enjoy some of the successes of, of what I've been through. Like I've never been that way. I've always just turned around and ran up the next hill. And as soon as we got to one mountaintop, I was already looking to see what was the next one to climb, like just yeah. know, chasing ghosts a little bit. Does that make sense? And so now I'm like, uh, you're your own boss. Like, why are you still like working in this structure that is killing you? Um, you don't have to work eight hours a day like that, or you can come back at night or like, what is you, what does your day need to look like? Um, I, I had to, re- I wasn't feeling good so much last year that I had to rest, had to reconcile. There was like so many dark moments and we went through like a really tra- traumatic second marriage, like quick, quickly married, quickly divorced. Like it was just time to like face the demons. 
<laughs> and so it, it, there was like no sometimes you just have no choice and self-care is not it's not bubble baths I'm, I you know I wish it was I mean those are great because I have taken baths every night of my life since I was a little kid both my kids do too awesome. <laughs> um, so yeah so I think there were things that I naturally did to regulate um, but it is actually for me that you have to face yourself down and there has to be some liberation mm. of, of the way you hold things to be true that aren't that just really aren't true and and you have self-worth in a way that I have never had in people that surprises people and it's just true we all navigate it so I think that's what I'm doing for myself is going like yeah you know like I'll give you an example like why is Mother's Day about the kids (laughs) it totally is you know what I mean it's like (laughs) I like for years felt like so judged if I didn't like want to go to this huge family event with everyone in my family for mother's day versus like going to the mountains. Like I remember one time my dad was like, don't forget being a mother's your number one job. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> on mother's day, I was like on a trip and I'm like, this should be like the one day where I, no one guilts me. If I do not. <laughs> I always <laughs> see all the moms with their families at the zoo and stuff. And the moms look so stressed and the kids are having a blast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Work. <laughs> like it's not breakfast in bed it's like literally can we get one day that we just do what we want to do like yeah. it's so backwards and so it's just little things like that where you're like you know I'm not just gonna like fall in line and do what I think I'm supposed to do what do I want <laughs> what do I want out of this life like how do I want to feel when I wake up in the morning and so that's the journey I'm on and it's very difficult like I'm a lifelong I will be recovering from people pleasing the way an addict will always have that in them and have to recover and have to make sure that they watch it, you know, with intention. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I think it's so important that you've learned that, um, you know, at this point in life, because a lot of people, they let their whole lives go by. And then when they've lived their lives, they're like, oh, I should slow down a little bit. And I don't have to push myself this hard. And it's like, look at how much life you've rushed through, you know, and it does take a toll on us. But I think that you made some excellent points and I don't want to trigger any like achievement things is actually one of the, Oh no, you won't. It's (laughs) well, one of the things I was going to ask is like, you know, as somebody who's like this very high achieving person that has these great ideas and is always doing stuff. Do you feel like you always have to be doing stuff? And then I was like, well, no, I'm not going to ask that. But then one of my questions is what do you, what do you have? um, What are you looking forward to in the future? What projects are you working on? So it's that same kind of thing. It's like, no, congratulations for what you're <laughs> doing now. <laughs> if you do yeah. that in the future, great. But if you don't, you know, you've, you've done enough. Like yeah. you've contributed to a lot of great things in society. So I, I'm, I'm not even, I haven't even gotten started. So the question's fine. It, it's, yeah. but it is also like, maybe it's not a project. Like maybe it's this question where you, if I could just tell every black woman, like you'd please liberate yourself as best you can um like god we hold the world up and and I like achieving things it's I I had to separate it right and sort of embrace the good and I'm learning to expel the bad ways in which I operate in that right it's just one side of the coin or the other right it's the same thing though I am who I am and so it's starting to go like you are who you are like in DNA and in the way you were raised like that has created this person are you proud of that yeah or is there stuff you have to shed on why you're doing a bunch of activities yes 
And then when I shed those, I still want to, I, I cannot sit here and not do what I need to do for the world. Like I've been given gifts, access. I sit at tables. Like I will never take that for granted enough to ever stop. Does that make sense? Like I'm not going to stop. Like that's not, I'm just saying I'm motivated for a different reason. And I really like the person who's doing the things that's versus great. I'm doing it because I want everyone else to like the person who's doing the things. That's so key. Oh my gosh. We're going to end on that note because I don't have <laughs> questions anyway, but that is so quotable. I love that. I can't yeah, wait. I, I just pray rest for all of us. And I don't mean like rest, but I mean rest in the fact that I hope that what I wish for all my girlfriends every day when I wake up is that, because I know how hard it is. Just like, I feel like we've hit a wall. It's in the environment right now, right? Like, I don't know how old you are, but I'm 38 and I'm like, close. Yeah, like the like this 30, 40 year old, 50 year old black women, like I just feel like something's in the air. And I feel like it's because we're about to have to for real save the world, like all the stuff I'm talking about. And so I just wish rest, meaning like I hope that you feel chosen mm. and I hope that you choose yourself. And I hope that you say no to things that don't make you feel good and yes to things that do. And I hope that you have brunch and mimosas or, you know, mimosas without alcohol in them if that's your thing and that you just don't feel bad yeah. for who you are like that's what I pray for 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 my friends for myself for all of us because I think we're getting ready for I don't know maybe we've been being prepared all these generations of handing this down this strength down there's a reason so I just hope that it's for something good we don't need to stop but also just learning how to rest rest in the meantime well, I'll tell you what when that day comes I want you in the head of the pack like have any political aspirations <laughs> <laughs> for the first time in my life I have started um to think about it but it's only because I think it's a system that's going to need to get rebuilt yeah I don't want to go into this system and try to do anything because I it's again ret. it's like mm-mm, that's not there's no rest in that I'll be so frustrated banging my head up against a wall but because for the first time I think that they're going to need us to sort of who knows how to actually rebuild it in an equitable okay. way I would do it. I would step into that gap. So if if that's what's necessary, one of these days, maybe one of these days soon, for goodness sake, <laughs> with everything that's going on, right? It's like, I, you know, I can only imagine who's going to have to step in that gap. But um, yeah, I, yeah, maybe I will. Finally, I used to say never, but. <laughs> well, I can't wait to see what you have in store for your life and just your businesses and everything. And I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. And for, you know, sharing all the wisdom that you've been sharing. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I'm so glad it worked out. And this is important work that you do. Of course. Well, thank you. And thank you to everyone for tuning into this episode of Spectrum Talk. To learn more about the Demi Fund, visit DemiFund.com. And if you have any questions for Danielle, follow her on social media or leave a comment below. See you next time. Bye.